Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 61 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, it's going to be a little bit of a special one, in a sense. We're going to be detailing the transfer window. Obviously, it doesn't close until January 31st, but it is January 30th right now. And we're going to preview a little bit of the Champions League and Europa League when it deals with the Premier League sides. But first... We got to talk about the transfer window it is getting a little busy right now. Obviously, the clubs, a lot of clubs are starting to scramble around in the Premier League, trying to sign some players. Um, basically, all across Europe, everyone is just trying to find a quick fix to fix their team. And for the Premier League, some big news that happened today is Manchester United officially announced the signing of uh, midfielder Bruno Fernandes from Sporting C- CP. Um, the figure that's been quoted that United have picked him up at is around 54 million pounds with an additional 15 million pounds in add-ons. So it's a pretty good deal for a quality midfielder that just a couple episodes ago, uh, Tyler was a little bit jealous that United could be in the <laughs> running to get him. And now that they finally got him, uh, Tyler, how does that make you feel? Oh my gosh. How did they get him? <laughs> <laughs> Bruno Fernandez is a quality player, so... It's props to United to pick up a player like that because he is for sure one of those key players that they really needed in that midfield to create chances, but also just rip a shot from literally 30 yards. And mm-hmm. he has that rocket of a foot. So I am surprised they got him for 54 million pounds. Mm-hmm. That is no, it, insane stats right there. You know, it's it's a really good deal considering uh, if you were to go back two weeks ago, Sporting were asking around 80 million for uh, Bruno Fernandez, but United were playing hardball. Sporting CP have have some financial troubles recently, and United basically played the hardball route in hope in hopes that you know Sporting would kind of give in due to the fact that they need the money, and that's what en- ended up happening. Uh, so United have got themselves a quality midfielder, which I'm super excited about. He has the potential for featuring in the Wolverhampton Wolves game that's going to be happening this weekend, but. Some other news dealing with United is they actually let Marcus Rojo go, go out on loan to Estudiantes. Uh, so he's going to be out on loan there. And they actually sold Ashley Young to Inter Milan. In case you didn't know, Inter Milan is in the process of basically buying the entire Premier League. It's only <laughs> a matter of time until Mo Salah uh, makes a return to Syria. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but Antonio Conte is basically on the mission of signing every Premier League player he ever wanted at Chelsea. <laughs> uh, so that... That team is going to be, I know we're going to be talking about Tottenham in a little bit, but Ashley Young is now gone. But one thing I wanted to kind of point out with Manchester United, dealing with their fans in particular, I know last week I kind of spoke out about my frustrations with the board and Ed Woodward and the Glaciers due to the fact that, you know, the way the club has been run the past couple of years has been, uh, a lot of the performances on the pitch have been due to the fact that how poorly the club has been run. However... There's a point where, you know, you kind of talk about the problems and, you know, it's sports, you know, we want to debate, we want to talk about it, we want to talk about the problems. However, it comes to where you're, you're crossing the line when some of these United fans actually came to Ed Woodward's home and brought flares and started throwing flares at his home. And if you didn't know, Ed Woodward has a wife and two kids. And first of all, if you're making any sort of death chance or attacking someone else's home and, you know, their family... I think that that by far crosses the line. I think, you know, we all have to remember that, you know, football, soccer, depending on whatever you call it, wherever you are in the world, it's a sport. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to watch. You know, you have your downtimes, you have your uptimes. That's how sports works. But if you're getting to the point where you are attacking another person just because the results on the pitch are not matching up to what you expect, that's just too much. I, I'm very disappointed in the Manchester United fans that actually partook in this or, you know, that did this. I think it's uh, unacceptable. And I really hope that, you know, United um, kind of go down hard on these fans because that is not acceptable anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that you see this is not only with like Ed Woodward, but you, I remember seeing this with Dejan Lovren at Liverpool and also more notably Loris Karius mm-hmm. after the Champions League final. He just basically got death threats out the window to the point where he just couldn't really play for the club anymore. Yeah. Which, which is sad. Like it's sad. It's, it's in the end. It's in the end. It's a game and yeah. they shouldn't be doing this. So I think despite, you know, Manchester United being in a bit of a downturn, I don't think it warrants fans going to, it like, should never, it should never it should like never. it's, 
it's it's not even an option. It shouldn't even mm-hmm. be a thing. But unfortunately, yeah, I, there are crazy people out there. And I, I get it. Me and Tyler, you know, we we love sports. So, you know, we we feel the passion like that you feel for your team, that you want them to succeed. And when they don't, it is sad. You know, you get sad, you get angry, but that should not lead you to attacking another person that is trying to do their best, I guess, or trying to do their job. It should not lead you to go out and attack someone or leave death threats on social media or anything. At that point, you're crossing the line and you really need to look at yourself in the mirror and really analyze what are you doing? What what exactly are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. I think that was just a, a little shocking on my end. I definitely do not agree with those Manchester United fans. I think they should be punished, like I said before. But that is kind of Manchester United's transfer window wrapped up in a little bit but actually they ended up beating yesterday they beat manchester city in the efl cup semi-final however uh city did go on to basically advance due to the accurate scoreline but the biggest thing coming from that game is that solskjaer basically said he wants a striker that will break his nose to score a goal and i basically and a lot of united fans took that as he's throwing a lot of shade at anthony Martial, who has not impressed being the solo striker since Marcus Rashford's absence. I know he's missing the quality of service. Maybe Bruno Fernandes can kind of change that. But Martial, to me, as I've seen him play as a frontman striker, he does not look like a guy that can be the new, be the number nine. Um, first of all, his energy level can kind of be iffy. He seems kind of lazy sometimes. And it he doesn't really have that killer instinct that you would want from a goal scorer, you know, a poacher. Um, it seems like... Salah has that sort of that killer instinct of, you know, I'm going to shoot when I shoot because that's who I am. Martial doesn't really have that. And I think that's why United are trying to look for a emergency striker to loan in. I don't know who they're really going to bring in because I think it's a little bit too late to kind of find a a striker of like some sort of quality to bring in. But I just wanted to leave that out there. But quickly going over to Tottenham, Mm -hmm. they finally sold their problem player that we have been talking about pretty much all season. Their boy, their midfielder, Christian Eriksen, has now gone to Inter. He's now he will he will be playing for Inter Milan. But another big news for Tottenham is they ended up making the Giovanni Lo Celso uh, loan deal permanent, and they also signed Steven Burzla. <sighs> yeah, you got it right there. He is a winger for the for the Netherlands, and he has five goals and ten assists in the Eredivisie. So he is going to be a Basically, he's going to be providing some quality up front for Tottenham, who are missing Harry Kane, and you know, a team that really just needs a some qual- some more quality forwards. And they have let Denny Rose go out on loan to Newcastle, so it's been a pretty busy transfer window for Tottenham, which is quite surprising because we never expect Daniel Levy to actually, uh, basically, uh, put out the cash out there to buy some players. <laughs> But the, the problem still is is that they don't have a dedicated all-out striker for mm-hmm. the team. He, they bought in another winger, so I'm assuming that means they're going to keep Hyungmin's son or Lucas Moura up at center forward and striker and then put Bergwin out on the wing because he that's basically what he is. He is one of those pacey players that you see from Eredivisie, like kind of like Quincy Promes or uh, David Neres. He's just basically one of those kind of players. That you just see is like, oh, it's just pace. And then, you know, <laughs> he has gotten five goals and 10 assists, which are which is pretty notable. But, you know, there to VC is a whole other type of league. It's not the same quality as a Premier League. So he will have to get True. adjusted to that. But I'm also very surprised with the Lo Celso deal in that really? they signed him until 2025. That's a huge deal. And for a player that hasn't really proven himself, that's a, a lot of faith to put into Lo Celso. So I'm guessing they're thinking this is more a investment for the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mourinho really is a big fan of him. Maybe. And he must be. <laughs> if, yeah. He's the manager making the, the deals now. I, but I do have to say that uh, I feel like one thing that Tottenham have struggled all season is their defense. And letting a fullback go such as Danny Rose. Obviously, Danny Rose has fell down the pecking order in the past couple mm-hmm. of seasons. But it seems quite shocking that they're going to let him go and not really bring in another defender to kind of back up that position and provide more depth. I think it's because Ryan Sesson Young has started to get himself more into that starting eleven as well, which is mm-hmm. occupying Danny Rose's spot, and also with the emergence of the youth player Tang Tanganga, he is yep. also taking up one of the defensive slots in that Tottenham midfield too, or Tottenham defense. So I think that's also why they're letting Danny Rose go on loan to Newcastle because Newcastle 
are going to play him for sure because they're currently mm-hmm. in a bit of an injury crisis, still trying to recover from that crisis that they had from the holiday, like winter fixtures Oof, where they basically gosh. had five to six injuries just from those fixtures alone. And mm-hmm. majority of them were defenders. And that includes the likes of like DeAndre Yedlin and like Fabian Cher. So having Danny Rose will be a boost for not only Newcastle, but I think for Danny Rose as well, because Danny Rose hasn't really been playing much mm-hmm. this season. And when he does play, it's he has he looks like he's very out of form or just looks like he came off the bench yeah. and hasn't played for s- like a year. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, which is crazy because I remember for two seasons, you know, Kyle Walker and Danny Rose looked like they were the best fullbacks. They were kind of like the Trent Alexander Arnold and Andrew Robertson for a co- like for two seasons where they're like, Oh my gosh, these guys are so good. But he's definitely fallen off the pecking order. But you mentioned Ryan Sessignon. Do you feel like his future at Tottenham is at fullback or at winger? In my opinion, Ryan Sessegnon is a lot better as a winger because he, for Fulham in particular, he was able to create a lot more chances and he was a lot better at attacking than defending. If you were to like compare both, I think keeping him more in the advanced position position would benefit him more. He is able to track back, but he doesn't have that defensive minded prowess that like say if you were to compare other defenders like say like even Juan Basaka yeah Juan Basaka or like Andrew Robertson if mm-hmm. you were comparing our left back like literally Ryan Sessing Young is just my in my opinion more suited to an attacker and he's just being put into left back kind of like Maitland Niles mm-hmm. is for Arsenal. Yeah. No I, I agree. Uh, so that kind of wraps up Tottenham's little transfer window. Obviously, there's still a day to go, but Arsenal have made some big moves in their improving their defense. They went out and signed uh, Flamengo's uh, their center back from Flamengo, Pablo Mari, um, kind of a player Arteta wanted. Um, there was reports that Arteta was eyeing for a left-footed center back, and Mari fits that role. Uh, I haven't seen too much of him. I believe Liverpool played Flamengo in the uh, Club World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah, how did you did you get catch any uh, footage of him while he was playing against Liverpool? Honestly, this is not a player that not many people <laughs> really noticed. When yeah, Arsenal signed Pablo Mari, I was thinking, who? <laughs> <laughs> this is literally if this was a FIFA career mode, it's that random player that a big club signs from just like the the most random situations. Where it's like, where did that transfer come from? Mm-hmm. And Flamengo is a very established club in Brazil, of course, but. For Pablo Mari, this player in particular, he was not a player that's been established in Flamengo for a long time. He's a player that has jumped clubs multiple times from like Girona to just random other leagues with like, they're not even within Europe. They're just like random <laughs> like B, B leagues within like South America. And then all of a sudden he ended up in Flamengo. And then mm-hmm. now we find him in Arsenal. <laughs> so this is a very bizarre transfer to me. And also a little bizarre how Arsenal managed to find him. But it does also remind me at the same time of Ali's son when Roma found him from Internacional in Brazil, whereas, you know, Ali's son at the time was around 23, 24. And then Roma just bought him from uh, Brazil. And then it was like, who is this guy? It's like, apparently he's, you know, up and coming and like one of those players that could be good. And then turns out to be one of like the best goalkeepers in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it- who knows? This could be one of those kind of situations and maybe... Pablo Mari could be a surprise because honestly, that's what Arsenal are hoping for. But at the same time, Arsenal don't have that much money, and this transfer is not even a transfer. It's more a, it's actually a loan. Yeah, so, I think it's loan and option to buy mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, but so, I, I really, I really like the, I really like the the idea here getting a left footed center back to play on the left side. I think too many times we see, you know, a lot of managers try to find a left footed center back to play on the left side but usually they there's it just there's just a lot of right-footed players so it ends up becoming you have a, a right-footed center back playing on the left side and that's what's been happening at arsenal and i believe you know david Luiz obviously has that red card in the premier league so i wouldn't be surprised if pablo mari kind of slots in and becomes you know maybe a day one starter for arsenal i don't know about mm-hmm. you i mean thinking about it would he start over, like, say, a Sokrat Mustafi? I mean, most people would, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Mustafi does play more on the right, the right center back position. So 
that wouldn't really be more comparison. But I think hmm, this is a little tricky because and he's Arteta, shown that you know he hasn't really played Rob Holding and some of the other center backs they have you know in their in their lineup. That's true, but at the same time, Arteta it seems like has more of an organized scheme. So I think for Pablo Mari, although he's a lone player, I think Arteta is gonna have him train and learn the system before chucking him into a game. Because mm-hmm. I think, uh, unlike other managers, Arteta has like an organization, very yeah, very tactical compared to say an Arsene Wenger back in the days, where it's just like, "Are oh, you gonna play center back? Have at it. <laughs> you're gonna play <laughs> in that position." So yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's I, why. And you know what? Who else? They're they're also trying to improve their defense in the right back. Uh, trying they're targeting Cedric Suarez from Southampton, and mm-hmm. all the reports I've been seeing is the deal will pretty much be done, and it's kind of be in the same vein as Pablo Mari. It's going to be a loan until the end of the season for an option to buy. Cedric is a very interesting one because he was part of that. I believe the Euro twenty sixteen is it the one where Portugal ended up winning the uh, European championship so Cedric has been a mainstay in, in the Portuguese national team and there's been at times where he looks like a quality fullback then mm-hmm. he kind of falls out of order then falls back in order so Arsenal I feel like I feel like this is kind of a wild card signing because I don't know if they're going to get like the quality Cedric Suarez or they're going to get maybe the guy that is dipping in and out of form at Southampton I think this is a very interesting buy and I feel like it could be a buy where we might be able to see can Arteta really develop a player with Cedric Suarez? I think Cedric Suarez in this situation is going to be more of a backup to Hector Bellerin because mm-hmm. Bellerin, of course, is somewhat injury prone to the point where when he does get injured, it's pretty significant most of the time where he's out for yes. a few months or maybe even a year. So I think Cedric Suarez is a player that's going to come in, hopefully to cover for Bellerin if you know something does happen, something bad happens to Bellerin where he's out for a long time because... Thinking about it now, who is the Bellerin backer right now? It's, it's uh, Maitland Niles. And Maitland Niles is not that like speaks a right lot. back. Mm-hmm. No, I think that speaks a lot. Of, maybe Arteta is just like, maybe the uh, Maitland Niles experiment at right back isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. And Maitland Niles has voice that he doesn't like playing right back. So I think that's going to free him up to maybe move up the midfield. Or if he's not even good enough to play midfield, maybe that might move him out the club out altogether. But I think mainly Niles, to kind of talk about him very briefly, I think he does have that Ryan Sessegnon kind of esque position. Where he he's too he's too. I would like say he's yeah yeah it's too well rounded for his own good, which mm-hmm. is going to hurt his development. He's like he's okay at multiple positions, but he's not very good good at one, one. <laughs> yeah which is kind so. of like it's a downfall because you know every team needs a utility player that can kind of mm-hmm. go in and do that he reminds me of daily blend i remember daily blend at manchester United could play in the midfield left back center back was he really good and really excellent at one of the positions probably not but he was such a good utility player that's why ix wanted him back and obviously he's been successful there but mm-hmm. i mean I always feel for those utility players because every manager is like, oh, I would love to have a player that could play multiple positions. But as we see, they don't really get to develop and grow into like one position. Unless you're James Milner. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very but, you know, he, I, I'm pretty sure he spent the majority of his early on in his career as a right midfielder, right? Mm-hmm. He was a right, right midfielder, right winger, and then he changed mm-hmm. to center mid. And then during Liverpool's left back injury crisis, he was left back. Yep. So James Milner is one of those rare situations where he actually did perform very well, whatever he got put into. But like not everyone is James Milner, of course, mm-hmm. and not everyone's like a daily blend. And Maitland Niles, although he is, he did do somewhat decently at right back. That's not really a position where it seems very natural for him. Yeah. Where it's like when you put like a Zaha on him, it's like, all right. <laughs> no, he's going to be he's going to be toast. He's, he's toast. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like Ashley Young when he got put in a right back and Zaha was like Zaha just basically owned him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that that's Arsenal quickly switching over to Newcastle. They're actually going to get a former Tottenham midfielder and Nabil Bentaleb got him from Schalke on loan. And obviously they have Danny Rose. Nabil Bentaleb, that's a very interesting one because I remember Back in the day, maybe four or five years ago, this guy had a lot of potential to maybe becoming a really quality midfielder and really hasn't lived up to that potential um, since Pochettino went to Tottenham and everything. But, you know, 
I feel like Newcastle could potentially get a good, decent run with him. Mm -hmm. Nabil Bentaleb is the Algerian player who he's not very box to box. He's also not very much of a playmaker. He's kind of a pure center mid where he'll be able to dictate tempo within the middle of the field and slot in a penalty every once in a while when he was at Schalke. He was the number 10 man. Like, literally, he wore the number 10. So I was a little surprised that he didn't really pan out as well. And when he was at Tottenham, he didn't really get that much game time. So that's why he moved to Schalke in the first place. But coming back to the Premier League, this might help boost his stock a little bit in that now he has experience in the Premier League before and as a Schalke player. But I'm curious to see how Newcastle will play him because... He's literally <laughs> like another Maitland Niles in that as a center mid, he's not very much a strong attacker. He's also yeah, not very Iniesta. good. At, I mean, he's not even Iniesta. He's not very really that creative. He's literally yeah. uh, a player that has all around stats where he's like, he's like physical, he can pass, and but he can't really shoot that well. He can't really defend that well. <laughs> he's literally just a player that's just going to pass the ball. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how... Steve Bruce really uses him at Newcastle. So I, hmm. he's, he kind of reminds me of John Joe Shelby a little bit. So maybe. It'd be <laughs> oh like boy. Him. They need another John Joe Shelby. They Gosh. need another John Joe, I guess. Another Voldemort. Oh, yep. <laughs> Walking red card. No, I'm exactly. just kidding. Uh, and now Southampton um, makes you feel like the Cedric Suarez deal is going to go through because they have actually loaned in Kyle Walker Peters from Tottenham. I remember when Kyle Walker's Peters first came on the scene, I was like, holy crap, they just found a region for Kyle Walker, and his last name is just Peters. <laughs> but it's an interesting signing, I would say. Yep, and for Southampton, this is a very promising move for them because Southampton historically have been a team and a club that has developed youth players to become renowned players. And like we've talked about this before on the podcast where they produce players like Gareth Bale, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Mm-hmm. Theo Walcott. Um, right. Yeah, Theo Walcott was there. Uh, who? Come on, Redmond, I can't. Milana. Oh, Adam Milana. <laughs> yeah, Luke so, Shaw. I know. Obviously, he hasn't really lived up, but like Luke Shaw's mm-hmm. there. Um, there's just a lot of players that have come from that academy. Really so, good academy. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Walker Peters did start for Tottenham at times, not only during this season but also last season. And I thought he was going to get more of a consistent starting role, but it just seems like he's kind of fallen off especially picking up injury as well. So I think this could be something that will help him develop back into a, a a starter for Tottenham, which is why they've only loaned him to Southampton, not like permanently signed him away, transferred him mm-hmm. away. So I think this is more beneficial for Kyle Walker-Peters. But low-key also for Southampton, get rid of Cedric Suarez as a starter. <laughs> I think that's also <laughs> going to be helpful because there were times during the season where Cedric Suarez is trying to I remember specifically one game, he was trying to shoot the ball at the goal and then went for a throw-in on the other <laughs> side of the field. So he's kind of That's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say this. That's not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then going on to Chelsea, haven't signed anyone yet, which is very interesting because I know right now it looks like they're safe to make the top four. But Manchester United have improved their squad a little bit. Arsenal are improving their squad just a tiny bit. I feel like Chelsea, just to secure that top four, they probably need to invest a little bit more. And I forgot to mention Tottenham have invested in their squad too. I feel like Chelsea really need to go out there and try to sign someone because I feel like the they're really missing a maybe like a more of attacking midfielder and a more consistent winger, I would say. Hmm. They have a lot of wingers, which is also the problem. Is like if they've signed another winger, then it's like, what's going to happen to Chris and Pulisic? What's going to happen to Callum Hudson Odoi, Willie? And they still have Pedro as well. So <laughs> they have all these players. But, but the, to it's me, just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. When I watch Chelsea, there's just something. I know they, I know they like to get forward. They like to play, you know, very attacking football. But just something feels a little bit off about them whenever I watch them. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if you get the same feeling. Something just feels a tad bit off when you watch them. It's a bit off, but at the same time, I'm also keeping in my mind that they have a bunch of youth players that they are trying to still develop to maybe fill in those gaps. But I'm also a little confused that they lifted their transfer ban and mm-hmm. they're not buying anyone. 
It's yeah, like I they thought they were going to go a little anymore. I thought they were going to go a little ham and maybe try to improve their squad a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think also the fact that they haven't transferred out anyone from the squad, at least any notable players, that's the reason why they haven't really brought in anyone either. Because right now I feel like they're at a point where unless they take someone out, then they can't really bring anyone in because mm-hmm. it's just going to be a little too crowded. Even right now at wingers, it's just I, I gave you like five wingers mm-hmm. and <laughs> only really two can play at a time. Oh, and yeah. For center attacking mid, like the creative midfielder, they still do have Mason Mount. They still do have Ross Barkley and Jorginho has been stepping up recently within these past few weeks as well and creating those chances. But they also have like just like a plethora of all these players. It's just none are too consistent. The most who's going to be the superstar? Like, I think. Yeah, there's no that, superstar, but maybe that'll be Mason Mount. Mm-hmm. It, it could be, and I think there Chelsea might be just playing the patient game and just you know trying to feed out you know, who's gonna which which one of these young players is going to become that next star for them. But there were reports that Olivier Giroud might be on his way out to you know Syria or another Premier League side. However, I've been I have been recently seeing reports that Chelsea are actually just going to end up keeping him, uh, which will be a I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I think, you know, if they have a confidence that if they're very confident that they're probably not going to sign anyone this window, I think it makes sense to keep Giroud because you obviously just need more depth and you never know if Tammy Abraham ever goes down with injury. Olivier Giroud is not a bad option to bring on cuz Michi Batshuayi unfortunately has shown that really he cannot handle becoming a starting player. He's much better coming off the bench as we as Tyler and I have discussed, you know, in the past that he's a really good super sub, but in terms of being a starter, not very consistent. So Giroud staying at at Chelsea will be a kind of like almost I wouldn't say a new signing, but it would be a big news for Chelsea to keep keep hold of that striker right there, but some other big news going around the Premier League was actually it was a reported bid. Sky reported it, so I don't know how much you can trust this, but Apparently, Barcelona made a $100 million euro bid for Richarlison. Everton's Richarlison, and Everton rejected it. Now, Tyler, (laughs) who's more crazy? Barcelona submitting a $100 million euro bid or Everton rejecting that much money for Richarlison? I think Barcelona had to bid that high because of not only being in January that, you know, clubs are a little bit more desperate, but also at the same time, Richarlison did recently sign that new contract with Everton which forced his his transfer value. market value to increase. And for 100 million euros, compared to, say, a Bruno Fernandes, <laughs> who's 50, <laughs> 54 million pounds, but we didn't really mention the add-ons for Bruno Fernandes, which if you want to quickly mention Yush. I oh, okay, was- yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that. So the add-ons are kind of crazy, which are... When I say crazy, I mean they're pretty crazy. So basically, <laughs> if Fernandez finishes, uh, basically becomes a Ballon d'Or winner, for each time he becomes a Ballon d'Or winner, United have to cough up five million back to Sporting for up to three years max. And apparently, I think it's, I believe, if he finishes in the FIFA Player of the Season, um, in the that you know, player, yeah, starting eleven, they have to pay five million. Back to sporting CP for up to three times max again. And I believe there was another one, but as you see, the add-ons are basically complete garbage because it's, it's <laughs> highly unlikely. I would say. I don't see Bruno Fernandez turning to like Zinedine Zidane or something. Yeah, someone who's better than Mbappe or Messi or Ronaldo. I don't, I don't even think he's gonna be top twenty. Yeah, you know, I gave him a lot of praise, but come on, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could prove us wrong, but and then Sporting gets that five mil, but I don't see that happening. But to go back to the question you originally posed to me with Richarlison, I think the crazier is Barcelona, obviously, because I think they really just needed a striker. And I have heard reports of Barcelona trying to get, say, players like Ben Yedder as well. But I think they're just really desperate for a striker. So Barcelona are a team that just wants to get the players that they want to fit their system. And with their new manager in as well i think he's just trying to get players to fit into a system but for everton if they lose richarlison that could spell big deficits for the rest of their current season so i think that's why they couldn't lose him because he's literally an irreplaceable player for the team although Mm -hmm. richarlison is not a top 10 top 20 not even top 40 player in the premier league 
Yeah, I would say he's. Probably, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe you could squeeze him into maybe thirty-five. Thirty-five. But say. like, it's it's still like you have to like think about it. It's like maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But like for a hundred million, this is something where you saw if like Joao Felix, like one of yeah, those kind of players, not Richarlison. Crazy. So I think it was more Barcelona being a little, little crazy, and Everton. They knew that if they lose him, it wouldn't just be, oh, we'd get 100 million euros. And then it's like, who would they buy? You know, because <laughs> also no, who would want to go to Everton, too? Yeah. I mean, you just got to pay someone 100 million euros. I guess <laughs> so. But it's like, hey, come to Everton. <laughs> <laughs> We're the second best team in Liverpool. Oh, actually, third yeah. best team behind the Liverpool reserves. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. I mean, that is, uh, some that's some temptation really- right there. But, that's some big I mean, shade thrown by Tyler, but that <laughs> that, that is a uh, that's sort of like the transfer window kind of wrapped up. Obviously, there's a still we have one more day left. But moving on to the Champions League and Europa League part of it, we're not going to spend too much time. But obviously, want to go a little bit in, into these matchups. We have the first one: Atletico Madrid versus Liverpool. Atletico have been struggling to score goals this season, and you know I've been following Eric Krakauer's Twitter, and he's been saying a lot of times that he feels like maybe. This could be the season that Diego Simeone kind of moves on from Atletico. And, it, you know, from the offensive standpoint, they have been struggling since they lost Griezmann. And because of that, I know Atletico still has that defense and I know Simeone can get his players riled up. But come on, Liverpool have been the best team in Europe for basically this whole season now. And I don't see them slipping up in this round of 16 matchup. Mm. I agree with Yosh as well. Not any bias at all as a Liverpool fan <laughs> but <laughs> Atletico Madrid in La Liga have only scored 22 goals in 21 games which that's means they've only sc- that's, that's terrible bad. that is atrocious that's compared boring. to say a Real Madrid the current best team in La Liga they scored 39 goals so like to give you kind of reference for that and for Atletico Madrid a, a team that has consistently challenged in the Champions League and La Liga for the past several seasons for them to only average about one goal a game in La Liga, that's that's pretty bad. And their defense is still historically good, and they still are currently good this season, where they've only let in 14 goals, which is the second best in La Liga, as opposed to just the 13 that Real Madrid have conceded, which is number one. So like they're literally just one goal conceded worse than the best team in or the best defense in La Liga. So. I think Atletico Madrid still have that in their back pocket with like Oblak and just Simeone's tactics, defensive-minded tactics. But the fact that they can't score a goal, that's, I think, they're going to be their downfall. And for Liverpool, because they're also the best defense in the Premier League, I don't see Atletico Madrid even scoring in this fixture. So I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool managed to win just 2-0 or 1-0 for this round of 16 what do you think, Yosh? Yeah. What's your prediction? No, I, no, I think... Uh, I don't know if I have a scoreline. I feel like... I, I would say Liverpool probably go go through with a 3-0, like, aggregate scoreline victory. Ooh. I don't... Like I said, I, I don't think Atletico, their struggling offense, can hurt Liverpool. There may be a couple chances Atletico might get here and there, but Liverpool, if they have Van Dijk, they have their defend... They have their fullbacks. They're just going to be too much for that Atletico team. And now going to the Tottenham RB Leipzig game. This one's going to be a little bit fun because obviously RB Leipzig have some of that young attacking hunger with, you know, Timo Werner and they have some other special players there. Tottenham have struggled defensively this entire season. But is Jose Mourinho in the Champions League? So I'm a little torn here. I don't, I, <laughs> I, it's a toss up, but I feel like if you give Jose Mourinho in the Champions League, I feel like he can find a way to scrape away and get through to the next round. So that's why I'm going for Tottenham to barely scrape by and maybe get away with the 3-2 aggregate scoreline victory. Ooh. This is going to be a very interesting matchup because RB Leipzig is currently the best team in the Bundesliga. Number one above Bayern Munich, which is a little Mm -hmm. surprising. But Julian Nagelsmann, the former manager for Hoffenheim, he has literally been moved into this slot, and he is one of those managers that was looked into by Bayern Munich, and at times even Borussia Dortmund, I believe, where he could be the next big thing. But you know, he had a few rough seasons during his last few, and he ended up at RB Leipzig, and now RB Leipzig are number one. 
And there is a bit of debate now where it's like this kind of debate that we've had in previous episodes, not particularly with RB Leipzig, but say with like Liverpool, where it's like now they're number one in the league, but also in the Champions League. Can they focus on both? And I remember we were talking to Eric Krakauer in that one episode where it's like, why don't you just try to win everything and then just let fate decide what happens? And I think that's what RB Leipzig are going to try to do because they do have the explosive players like Marcel Sabitzer, Timo Werner, and just all those players, and also like Christian and Pulsing as well. So I think with Tottenham struggling somewhat in the Premier League as well in terms of trying to score goals, I wouldn't be surprised actually if RB Leipzig get the upset against Tottenham because Jose Mourinho uh, still feels like he's trying to fill out, figure out a squad. It's not the typical shut down, kind of sit back Mourinho-esque team that we've seen in the Premier League at, at times. So in the Champions League, it could be different. But with RB Leipzig kind of going on all cylinders, it looks like in the Bundesliga at least, I'm not sure if Tottenham will be able to outscore a team like that. So I think RB wow. Leipzig will win 3-2. So same wow, score, but just flip teams. Big moves. Tyler going going against the Premier Pod. Bias I right know. There. <laughs> RB Leipzig. That is going to be fun. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Mm-hmm. Then another one, another big matchup is Chelsea versus Bayern. Obviously, these two teams have a lot of history with each other. So many great historic matchups in the past. Obviously, two teams are kind of going through transition right now. Frank Lampard is in his first season. Bayern have been struggling and been struggling to find some form. And, you know, obviously they had the very potent Robert Lewandowski. But, you know, they're just not the same Bayern that we're used to. We have seen in, you know, years past. So this one's going to be a fun one. I'm going to have to go with... It's going to be tough. I I want to roll with Chelsea, but I think the fact that their team is just a little too inexperienced because, you know, you have Tammy Abraham, you have Mason Mount, Pulisic, uh, a lot of those young guys that, you know, I know Pulisic has obviously been in the Champions League a lot with, uh, with Borussia Dortmund, but some of those other guys, I feel like they rely on too much, and I feel like the moment could be too big for them, and that's why I'm going to roll with a little bit the more of the experience side in Bayern in terms of getting out of this uh, round of 16. I don't know the exact scoreline, but I'm going to roll with Bayern. Mm. This is a very interesting matchup too, because as you just basically mentioned, it's experience versus youth. And what surprised me about Chelsea is that I kind of picked Chelsea to not even get out of the group stage. And mm. for me, I feel like they upset Ajax in the group stage and they really surprised me in particular in that they're able to kind of overcome this, this not era, but like this kind of thing of surrounding them where it's like, oh, they don't really have the experience or that kind of pedigree to overcome a deficit or really to come back and win a game. But in, at least in the group stages, they proved us kind of all wrong there. And Bayern Munich, they are in a big transition season where historically you've seen Bayern Munich just dominate the Bundesliga. It's like they usually win it by say March or early April. And yeah. then not really much. Sort of like what Liverpool are doing right now. Mm-hmm. But right now Bayern Munich are in second place, but they are starting to catch some form. They won their last five games and they're starting to get their star players like Serge Navary starting to get firing. And also Robert Lewandowski is trying to is um, scoring more consistently now. So, and also Felipe Coutinho our old Liverpool boy is still there and he's <laughs> going to get more consistent playing time at the club as well. So I think Bayern Munich do have the capability of preventing Chelsea from kind of upsetting them. So I also will say that Bayern Munich will go through for me. I think a scoreline is a little difficult to predict, but I think hmm, over two legs will be Bayern Munich for Chelsea two. Yeah, honestly, I feel like it would be a high-scoring scoreline as well. Mm -hmm. I think both teams are out there to be taken for, but I'm going to go with Bayern and their more experienced matchup. And now we have the final Premier League team in the Champions League, Real Madrid versus Man City. A pretty good matchup, I would say. Obviously, City are getting Amiric Laporte back. Uh, Lior Sané is back in training. Kevin De Bruyne is in really good form. Sergio Aguero is in great form. Riyad Mars is clicking. Raheem Sterling obviously has fallen off in his form. His form has dipped, but City are starting to finally get their pieces back together, I would say. 
And, you know, obviously Real Madrid on top of La Liga, Zinedine Zidane is doing well. So this is going to be a fun matchup. Zinedine Zidane versus Pep Guardiola. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, two heavyweights going against each other in terms of management power. (sighs) The only problem I have with City is that they can, even with Laporte back there, they have shown, even in years past in the Champions League, the way they play and the way they like to play leaves them successful, you know, leaves them vulnerable to the counterattack. And Real Madrid could pounce on that because as we've seen with Zinedine Zidane, what made him so special with the winning three Champions League and Champions Leagues in a row, it wasn't based on luck. You know, he took basically took advantage of your weakness and exploited that. And I think that could cause City some problems, but I think City will be on a mission to try to get as far as they can in the Champions League because they know the Premier League is out of sight. And for Pep Guardiola's legacy, he needs to win a Champions League with with Man City. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to roll with City getting out of this uh, round of 16 tie. Ooh. This is a very... These round of 16 matchups couldn't have been any better, in my opinion. Like These are like just amazing matchups, but this oh, one yeah. is huge because Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola and Zenini Zidane have not faced off before. So this is the first time they're going to face off. And for a play... Oh, virus and threat protection, Windows Defender Subbery <laughs> popped up, joined the squad. But <laughs> anyways... For this tactic, for Pep Guardiola, I don't think he's going to change anything in particular. He never changes. He never changes anything. He's very stubborn, and he knows his tactics will win him games most of the time. And I mean, it's shown historically he's basically won like eighty percent of his games, ninety percent. Like it's it's insane. So. For a team in Real Madrid, they're number one in La Liga, but also at the same time, if you look at the stats. Real Madrid have scored 20 goals less than Man City. And although Real Madrid have a very resilient defense right now this season, I don't know if they will be able to with withstand the barrage that Man City will probably, you know, set out to have mm-hmm. against Real Madrid in both legs. And as you just mentioned, Pep Guardiola is on a mission to win the Champions League with another team that doesn't have Messi in it. <laughs> so... <laughs> With this Man City side and all the injured players like Laporte and Sané coming back into the squad, I think this is a big opportunity. And they have for, the best midfielder in the world, Kevin, yep, De Kevin De Bruyne, to basically unlock any kind any kind of defense. I think Man City do have the upper hand, despite Real Madrid having a manager that has won this competition consecutively. But against a Man City side like this, I think Man City is going to win. It's going to be very close, and I think it will be somewhat high scoring. I think it will be four to three to Man City. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all no. going to be very close. Oh, uh, they're, they're going to be great games, and I can't wait for this one in particular because, you know, I, as a United fan, I know this is going to hurt a lot of other United fans. I just want to see a good matchup, and I think Pep Guardiola is going to come out on top with that City team. He's just going to have them motivated to perform at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Now, switching over to the Europa League. Some more low-key matchups, obviously not as uh, juicy and tantalizing as the Champions League ones, but we have Club Bruges versus Manchester United. Obviously, Club Bruges, I believe, drew 2-2 at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid in the Champions League group stage. Uh, Crazy game in that one, but I know United have been up and down this season, but I would expect them to get past Club Bruges in this one. I would say maybe 3-1 they're going to win this uh, knockout stage, round of 32 game with. Ooh, I wouldn't knock out Club Bruges that quickly because Club Bruges is the number one team in Belgium right now. And they mm-hmm. have the number one man in goal, Simon Mingule. So this is a man who's faced Manchester United several times in, while in the Premier League. And he has a lot of experience in these big game competitions, although he's never really won anything because at Liverpool, he was a very uh, subpar keeper. <laughs> you know, maybe at Club Bruges, this is his time to be like, hey, maybe this is when I'll get that upset win. Maybe this will be something I can do. And he also has other players on his team, such as Vanekin and Vormer, two midfielders that could really unlock a defense and also just make a difference. Two players that not really, not that many people actually know as well, but they've been veterans of the team for a while. And I think with this Manchester United will have a much closer game than we expect, especially since Manchester United are still struggling, obviously, 
in not only the Premier League, but also other competitions that they're a part of. Maybe Bruno Fernandes will change that. <laughs> the Ballon d'Or winner. <laughs> or the soon-to-be Ballon d'Or winner, but I think it'll be very close. But even still, despite me kind of bringing up Club Bruges as a surprise team, I still think Manchester United do have what it takes to get the win, but I think it'll be closer than we think. I think it'll be a 2-1 to Manchester United. Yeah, Simon Mignolet getting 20-plus <laughs> saves. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the Samuel Mignolet love right there. But now we have Olympiacos versus Arsenal. I think Arsenal have played Olympiacos a bunch of times recently. I feel like they always end up drawing them somehow, some mm-hmm. way. In the past decade, but, I feel like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many times. So many matchups with those two. But Arsenal, Arteta looking a lot better, more structured, more tactically sound, a lot more positive. I think because of that, they should get past uh, Olympiacos. And I fully expect them to get to the round of 16 easily. I don't know the scoreline, but I'm going for Arsenal in this one. I also agree with Yash in that despite Olympiacos being in the second Athens, Athens, Greece, not Athens, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> and Olympiacos at home is a lot more difficult than people expect because that kind of environment can play a part into getting into the heads of the players. But I think Arsenal under Markel Arteta, this part of the season has kind of changed them to the point where I feel like they're not as phased anymore to the environment that they're in, especially at home at the Emirates, which is kind of ironic. I think with these kind of tactics and change of culture under Marte- under Arteta, I see them going through somewhat comfortably too. And I think it's going to be like a 2-0 or a 3-1 even. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. And then the final Premier League side in the Europa League is Wolverhampton Wolves. They are facing against Espanyol. Wolves have been a great, consistent force this season. Uh, Adama Traore, Rahul Jimenez. I fully expect Rahul Jimenez to end up leaving for a bigger club because that guy is amazing. That guy is such a good striker. And Adama Traore has been super, super dominant and just basically unstoppable at times when he gets going on running down the wing. Ruben Neves, they have so many good players. They have made some noise in the transfer window too. Because of that, I'm going to roll with Wolves um, basically getting into the round of 16. I think they are a very strong side. And, you know, if they, they're they a very good counterattacking side and they're a side that can take advantage of your weakness and make it very difficult for you to play. Espanol also is not <laughs> the same Espanol as seasons past under Pochettino, especially when he was still oh, yeah. there before he was at Spurs. But Espanol being able to get out of the group, I wouldn't count them out too quickly. But at the same time, Wolves, they have seemed to be able to catch up and really adapt to multiple competitions better than we were expecting. We were thinking that yeah. Wolves were going to be eliminated real quick and yeah. just try to refocus. They've done a really good league. job. They've yeah, done a very good job. And also yeah. having Adama Chari and Raul Jimenez or Jimenez kind of explode now in this part of the season has really helped as well. I really like Adama Chari. He's one of those players that you kind of, if you were to create a player in FIFA, that's literally the player you would make. No, so someone no, he's like huge, fast, strong, able to He's literally, dribble. he's like, he went, someone created him on Madden player and then just transfer him over to FIFA. Really? How he's built. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's literally he's got, Todd Gurley. <laughs> no, he's he's literally so big and so strong. I wanted to point this out. Do you think Nuno Espirito Santo could get a job somewhere else? And do you feel like he could get a bigger job after the season? Hmm. That's a very good question. This is a question we have posed before as well. But at the same time. He's, I'm it's very kind of like impressed. Brendan Rodgers, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. things are just working right now. He's at, at a perfect situation. Mm-hmm. He's, He's got so many Portuguese situation. players he can, you know, coach out there. And that's probably the best thing for him right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have Bruno Fernandes, but <laughs> <laughs> he has Ruben Neves. The one, Port- the one Portuguese guy he's missed out on. But Ruben, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got so many quality players everywhere. But I, I, def- I do agree with you that I think Santo right now is in the perfect position right now in terms of his management and where he's at. And mm-hmm. where Wolves are kind of trying to ambition themselves. So I think he's really good right there. So I got Wolves going through. So does Tyler. Yep. Uh, another quick thing to point out is the League Cup final. 
It will be an Ashton Villa versus Manchester City matchup in Wembley. Villa obviously beating out Leicester City and City going through on aggregate scoreline against United in a 3-2 score. It, this one will be kind of interesting to watch. Obviously, we'll preview that much later once the weekend leading up to that Carabao Cup final, but that's just something to lay out there. And then the random Premier League game that happened this week, obviously Liverpool had to catch up with their missed game and they finally did it. And they ended up beating West Ham 2-0. Salah getting a score, getting on the score sheet. And Liverpool, I believe, are they're one game behind the most, the longest unbeaten run in the Premier League. Is that correct? I believe I so. You, okay. But right now, Liverpool are basically, every week, we're just basically saying they're making history. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just really good to say. So, But to kind of go back to this game, one player that... It's, it's kind of ironic I'm going to mention, but West Ham rather than Liverpool, but they've got Lucas Fabianski back in goal, and he is one of those players that has been a key cornerstone player for the team. And I think the reason why West Ham have been struggling throughout this later half of the season is because they, they had they Darren Randolph. <laughs> they had Randolph <laughs> and also Roberto in goal, and literally, and also David Martin as well. They really needed a leader, a good goalkeeper in that back behind that defense defensive four and without Fabianski they were struggling a lot and you know during this game he got injured (laughs) and I was like oh my gosh rip rip West Ham but I mean he got back up luckily for West Ham but you know historically Liverpool have destroyed West Ham every single time they faced off and this wasn't really that different Oxley Chamberlain got a goal from a breakaway from a West Ham corner so they're still struggling in defense still. <laughs> no, they well, are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask, didn't didn't Mane go down injured? Or was this this game or was this a couple games ago? This was a couple games ago. So Divock okay. Origi did start this game over Mane. Mane does have a hamstring injury, but it is not a severe injury. He's That's only good. out for a few games. But luckily for us as well, we do have Divock Origi. We have depth. There, mm-hmm. There is Shiden Shakiri still on the bench. And then, of course... Our boy, Takumi Minamino, although he's been struggling a little bit, a little bit nervous in the first few games he has played for Liverpool. I still think he's a very promising player. He he has shown glimpses that he has that dribbling ability to really unlock a defense and also to just outpace most defenders. So I really have faith in this man. No, he will be, he's an excited player to watch and obviously Liverpool historically good and just breaking records left and right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, previewing this weekend in the Premier League, we've—I swear—we've like jumped topics from like one, two, three. <laughs> but it's been a—you know—we we mentioned it's going to be a special episode, and it was a bit of a special episode. But mm-hmm. uh, going into the preview section for this week, we have honestly a really good. There's like probably a lot of good games this weekend, and we picked out the best three. And honestly, you know, these are some of the best three games this weekend. There's some really good games, so. First one, Leicester City versus Chelsea. Obviously, Leicester are kind of in situated themselves comfortably in that third place position. I think it would have to be something drastically bad happening at the club right now where they would fall out of that third place. Chelsea have been up and down this season with their form. But hear me out. I think Chelsea go into the KP and win this game 2-1. Woo. That is yeah. a bit of a hot take right there. Ooh. But at the same time, Leicester at home, I always like to give a slight upper hand to certain teams when they are at home. Certain teams, not so much like, say, an Arsenal at home. <laughs> <laughs> but for Leicester, they have been struggling the past few games because they haven't had that consistent, like, Wilfred and Didi, Telemans and Madison midfield as they did. It's made Soin Chu and Johnny Evans get caught out multiple times defensively i would say but even then now they have Tillemans back in the starting lineup and then in the last game in particular they started uh, mendy in that cdm position and you know if he got subbed off for wilford ndidi so maybe ndidi will be back for this game and i think that'll be a key in just figuring out whether lester will get the win because i honestly think wilford ndidi that triangle with Madison and Tillemans as well will be key in trying to 
keep Chelsea from getting any attacks going because also Jorginho recently has been being able to unlock any kind of defense, like surprisingly, from just so deep. Like he has some creative ability, like uh, kind of Kevin De Bruyne-esque, where he just can send a long ball from anywhere. And all of a sudden it's like, how did he know Tammy Abraham was going to run onto that? It's like, how do you know William was going to run over there? And then like the ball's already there. So this is going to be a very close game, but I think with all these players coming back and just like the sporadic form of both teams as well, I think it'll be a draw actually. And it'll be a two, two. That'll be a fun game to watch though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> game though, Third versus fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's got a tie. I got a Chelsea win. And then the next game, Manchester United versus Wolves. If you were to ask me last week, what would happen this game? I would probably say Wolves win. But I think with the acquisition of Bruno Fernandes, I think the spirits are a little bit high in the camp. And also beating City um, at the Etihad. I know, obviously, they didn't go into the final of the Carabao Cup, but they still get another win against City at the Etihad. I think that boosts the confidence levels of the players a little bit more, and they get a new player to play alongside. So I'm going to actually roll with that momentum, and I think United get a 2-1 victory at home. Ooh. Recently, Manchester United and Wolves did play in the FA Cup replay, and Manchester United did win 1-0. But despite that, I think Wolves do have a slight advantage in that Man United are going through a bit of turmoil. Still, despite this Bruno Fernandes transfer, I don't think Bruno Fernandes is going to start. I think... That'd be a little too quick of a turnaround in that he literally joined the team yesterday or today. So he would barely have that much time to train. I think, if anything, maybe he will come on as a sub. But even then, I still kind of doubt it. I think in these kind of situations, we might see a Wolves team be kind of motivated to potentially have a good opportunity to leapfrog Manchester United into fifth because they are tied on points. And I wouldn't be surprised if after losing in the FA Cup that Wolves come back and win here with that same scoreline, 1-0. And then wow. Bruno Fernandes just looking on the sideline like, well, I got some work cut out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was the, again the hot take right there. I'm going to mm-hmm. go for 2 win United, but he's got 1-0 Wolves victory. And then the biggest game of the weekend, Tottenham versus Manchester City. Jose Mourinho versus Pep Guardiola. Um Part oh. two or part three now with different clubs, but mm-hmm. this is going to be a fun one to watch. Again, we have said before that Jose Mourinho is still looking for that signature Premier League victory, has yet to get it, which is quite surprising because when you think of Jose Mourinho, you think of a guy that is going to show up in the big matches and win those games. Hasn't happened this season with all the chances he's gotten. And, you know, what better way to do it against your form, like your biggest rival Pep Guardiola but however I think again I feel bad for Mourinho but I think it's gonna have to wait another game because City right now I believe that Pep Guardiola is gonna have them on a mission to showcase how good they are and he's gonna want them in full form when they go into the Champions League knockout stages so I'm gonna go for City actually winning a I know I keep picking the scoreline, but I think it'll be 2-1 because I think City could get caught out defensively. But Sergio Aguero, Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think Tottenham have shown me that they are resilient enough to stop those two players. So City victory. I agree with Yeshin that City will get the win. I think it'll actually be a 2-0. China just put out the scoreline first. I think it's because Tottenham, they haven't been that clinical without Kane. They've really been struggling without Kane. And although they get their chances, you've seen, especially against the Liverpool game, you've seen Lo Celso miss an open opportunity in front of goal. You've seen Sun sky a chance when he was in front of goal. I think in this situation, Jose Mourinho will kind of put into the heads of the players like, hey, this is a big rivalry game for me in particular, personally. <laughs> but I don't think the team is set out compared to, say, a Man City side where Man City seems like they'll be a lot more prepared for this matchup and I think Man City will win 2-0. I think with Emmerich, Emmerich Laporte coming back too, I think that'll help solidify that defense. Much needed defense so uh, solidification and that will lead for Tottenham to be able to, to not be able to score. So I think it'll be a 2-0. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think City will get the victory. And unfortunately for Jose Mourinho, he's going to have to wait another mm-hmm. big week, another week to get that big signature victory in the Premier League. But I know it was a long one. It was kind of a, not a wonky one, I would say, but you know, we jumped around topics there, but we wanted to cover as much as we could considering it was the FA Cup, Carabao Cup, little break right there. And I felt like we did a pretty good job with that. But thank you guys so much again for listening to the Premier Pod episode 61. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear your feedback. But that kind of wraps it up for this one. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace. Peace.